Hello and welcome to Ride Pure, the Royal Enfield podcast. A podcast about Royal Enfield motorcycles, the people who create and build them, you, the people that ride them, the things you do to them, and the places you explore on them. I'm Gordon May, Royal Enfield's historian, author, and overland motorcycle traveler, and I'll be hosting today's Checkered Flag episode. So put your earbuds in, crank up the volume, kick back and enjoy the show. As part of the new Continental GT Cup Retro Race Series, it's our great pleasure to have as our guest, Aspi Bathina, editor of Car India and Bike India, and himself a racing legend. Aspi, thanks for coming along to share your stories and insights with us today. Hi, Gordon. How are you? Good, and thanks for having me on the show. Ah, it's great to have you along, Aspi. Um, shall we start by going back to your roots? Um, maybe you can tell us when you first started racing and what inspired you to get involved in the sport. Yeah, I can take you back uh, <clears throat> many years back now. In fact, I was about 9, 10 years old when I started riding a motorcycle. It was a Triumph 3T that I rode first. And then in 1977, uh, in fact, I was into bicycle racing more than motorcycle racing. And my brothers were going to take part in the races in Mumbai. And one of them had an accident and his bike was not going to be used. So as that bike was going to be idle, I said, why don't I have a go on it? And that was the first time I raced in 1977. It was... At that time, an international event with some Sri Lankan riders. Uh, and I finished second in that race, riding a four-stroke racing Java. So that was my first race in 1977. My family was basically into cars. My dad was into cars. He used to basically was the, one of the first uh, engineers from, in India from City and Guilds, UK. So And he used to always repair his cars by himself at home. He, he built a car. He had a Rolls Royce of his own, which he maintained and ran himself. So automobiles were basically part of my life growing up. And my I would say I'd learned ABC reading uh, Autocar UK and Motorcycle News magazines as a kid. So it was automobiles. All my brothers were involved in cars, bikes. So that's how we got into racing in 1977. That was my first race, riding a racing Java. After that, in India, during that time, we could not import anything. Even if we wanted a carburetor, you had to come from the UK. Even the main jets we had to import. Even a cold value spark plug, a cold plug we had to get from the UK for racing. So everything came from outside the country. You had to, you know, plead, beg, borrow, ask people if you could get some parts if you are going to the UK and things like that. So when we were getting into racing, my brother and I decided the normal route for everybody to get into racing in those days, we had about three, four bike manufacturers in India. In the 175cc class, everybody preferred the Rajdut, which was a WFM from Poland originally. And either that or a Crusader, Enfield Crusader with a Villiers engine. The WFM had a basically a better engine, but it had a three-speed bike, and it had Earl's type front suspension, so which was not very good. So my brother decided that we go with the Crusader, Enfield Crusader, which was the Villiers engine, and but as you would know, the so that was a two-stroke motorcycle. 
Yes, all two ships. Yes, Villiers engine. Hmm. So, and the Villiers engine had, uh, you know, the transfer ports on the Villiers engine are very very small, and we converted the Villiers one seventy five engine from piston port to disc valve induction, and that way we got an extra boost port to compensate for the small transfer area, and that bike became so fast. that it was thrashing the opposition left right and center so there was no competition he won the uh, 175 cc class for 5 years in a row and then he moved on to race a yamaha so i raced the crusader and uh, i beat the enfield furies that were later the zundups that were launched by enfield in india and enfield came back to me at that time saying stop racing this motorcycle we have stopped producing it So we will give you a new Zunda. You start racing the new Zunda. Please don't race the Crusader anymore. <laughs> so that was the end of the Crusader, and I was racing in the 250 class. And at that time, the normal staple racing motorcycle that everybody used was the Java and ESDs, not the Enfield 200. So we said, no, we are not going the normal route. We will go the Enfield 200 route because I prefer the handling of the Enfield 200 compared to the Czech bikes. So, it's again the same problem: cast iron cylinder block, very small transfer ports. So, I, at the age of about 22, made my own cylinder block out of aluminium, made my own pattern, and casted that aluminium block. Which where the molder used to live, literally live in a slum, so I used to go into that slum and sit with him and made the cylinder block. And when we got it right, that bike was really really quick. It literally destroyed the opposition. So, in fact, I remember when I was racing at Cholaram, which was a disused airfield, which had a one mile long straight, one point six kilometers. And in practice, I was running it with the Yamaha RD three fifty that was built in Germany. and this bike was going wheel to wheel with that bike over the main straight at over 180 odd kilometers an hour so you know extracting that sort of performance the standard enfield 200 was about 8 bhp we had no way of measuring what bhp or rpm we had because there was no rpm meter no dyno but the rd was capable of doing more than 180 and i was going along with him so i'm sure we were Pulling out at least 30 odd bhp out of the Enfield 200, <laughs> so that was my real beginning with racing and with Enfield motorcycles. So that's where my roots are. So back in those days, I think what you're saying is that to race, you had to be uh, heavily involved in tuning your motorcycle to get the best out of it, uh, and you were doing this yourself. Yes, we were doing everything ourselves from. Porting, filing the intake, the exhaust, the transfers, to the timings, to making the expansion chambers, making a taper bend pipe. You see, a two-stroke needs a taper header, so we would cut the uh, two sheets of uh, metal and beat it in on earth. In the earth, I would beat it in and make it and turn it into a shape and weld it together down the center on both sides and make a taper header bend pipes. In fact, we have all this. even today i have all the expand chambers and both the crusader and the enfield 200 still with us 
And you still ride them? Uh, not ri I don't ride them, but they're in running condition. I can assure you that. If you come, we can fill in some petrol and let you go for a ride. That sounds fantastic. Um, do you remember your first race win? Because racing is you know, all about winning. Do you remember that first victory? Yes, definitely 1985. I was riding the Enfield 200. And I was up against a guy called Ravi Tirmale. Who was who had been winning the uh, two fifty cc class for the last five years, and we have we had built the infield two hundred. We took it to Chennai. It was at the Sholavram track, which was as I said, it was a T shaped airstrip, and the longest straight was one mile. And I remember we it was a push start. The Villiers engine had a very small crankshaft which was an advantage when you wanted a very good primary compression ratio. But to start that motorcycle was a tricky thing. You had to really get it more going. So we st I started about third, fourth, but by the first uh, turn, we were all together. And when I exited the first corner, all three bikes, I just left them standing. And within, I rode the bike literally pushed the bike for a lap, lap and a half. And being a T-circuit, you could see where your next competitor was. And he was not even in sight. So I just, the next laps, I just eased it off. I was not even pulling it to full RPM and just putting it in fourth gear and pulling it away. And she was, I won by over a mile in about six lap race. It was, I was leading by over a mile over the next competitor. So that was my first win on the Enfield 200. Very satisfying. And I would also like to add that while building the bike, we had also made our own gearboxes. Like the standard gearbox, first gear was too low. It would be redundant. So our second gear became first. Second went closer to third and third went closer to fourth. So we made our own close ratio gearboxes also. These are all made by us. So, which are still on the bike and still running. So, a lot of work went in, a lot of man hours. But my racing, building bikes has taught me so much, which today comes in help, uh, very handy when I even test a motorcycle. I'm able to, you know, read what is happening and what's not happening. It gives me a lot more, it has given, gives me a big ed, edge over all the other journalists because I have built and raced mm -hmm. motorcycles myself. Yes, I can see how that mechanical knowledge would really stand you in good stead for that. Was it typical then in those days that uh, racers would have to work on and tune their own motorcycles or were there others that were in, say, teams where that was all done for them? Uh, no, like me and my brother were mechanics come because we used to run a motorcycle workshop, our own. So basically, before the racing season, we would work till from 9 to 6 in the evening on our normal customer bikes and then 6 to 12 midnight, whatever, on our race bikes. So that's how we worked on it. But not all the riders were mechanics themselves. There were a lot of people who had, like, people fix, um, making bikes for them to ride. I think there are very, very few who built and raced their own bikes. Do you remember how many victories in total you had on Royal Enfields? Oh, Royal Enfields, uh, my brothers won about five, six years in a row. So that's two races or uh, four races per year. So that's, you can say about 20 odd on the Crusader. I had fewer than that. Mine would be about 
six, seven races on the Enfield 200. Right. Okay. And getting to those events, I mean, you were talking about the uh, famous race circuit that uh, was once in Madras, Chennai now. Um, Getting to those events, that was quite a challenge for you too, I understand. Yes. uh, We would, uh, I live in Pune, which is uh, 1200 or kilometers, 1300 kilometers from Chennai. So we would uh, put the bikes on a brake van, load them on a brake van, in, on a railway, on in a train, in a luggage van in the train. And uh, we would travel by second class in the train because we couldn't afford more, anything more than that. And as we had to load the bikes in the train, we had to drain out all the fuel and everything. So basically when we landed in uh, Madras, Chennai, from there to where the hotel was, I would literally push my motorcycle to that place in the heat of, in the midday heat of Chennai. But that was the sort of fitness and the hunger to race was there. So that was the hunger. That is, today if I tell somebody that you want to go and race in Chennai, he would say, how much would you pay me? Which airline am I flying? And things like that. But that time it was, we were hungry to race. Basically it was, we could say we were desperate to race. The, end, uh, the organizers would treat us like second grade citizens, but that didn't break our determination. We wanted to race. That was it. And what was the uh, competitive spirit like amongst, you know, your your fellow racers and yourself? Was it, were you, were you a tightly knit group of, of enthusiasts or was there a, a, a real cont- competitive spirit there? Both, I would say, but like today, uh, we being from... Uh, Pune, which was uh, not the local, most of the races were from down south. Either they were from Bangalore or from Chennai or Coimbatore or things like that. So when we used to go from here, they didn't take it too well, the locals. So in fact, I remember when I first uh, won the race on the Enfield 200, the chief scrutiny walked in and said, uh, make sure you find some discrepancy with this bike and disqualify him. In On my face, okay? Okay, I'm standing there opening the bike and they were measuring the cylinder bore and stroke and I was using a Java ESD piston which was a 65 millimeter piston and the stroke was 72. So the capacity was only coming to 236cc. That was not even uh, allowed 260cc. So he kept telling me that you are doing something that I can't get the right capacity from your bike. I said, that's the right capacity that you are measuring, I said. So it was like that, but they couldn't find anything to disqualify me. So they had to give me the race. <laughs> and, and I believe you hold the distinction of being the first or is the only Indian motorcycle racer to have raced and finished the Isle of Man TT. Yes, yes, Gordon, that's right. When, does, when did that happen? And uh, In 1987. How did it come about? See, uh, I'll tell you, Gordon, uh, the thing with me was winning, yes, was important. But for me to improve my riding was even more important. So what I did was I went into uh, the foreign class racing, riding against English boys, Germans. And at that time, used to get uh, British national champions coming to India to race. Okay, like uh, Neil Robinson, uh, Graham, uh, what is his name? Sorry, Neil Robinson was there, Ivan Gray, Tony Head and people like Steve Tonkin. So all these guys came to India and we were I was racing against them. And so to improve my riding, I started riding against them. 
and I was in the UK racing and Bill Smith saw me riding at uh, Alton Park and he asked me, came up to me and asked me, would you like to race in the TT? I said, I'd love to race, but uh, I said, see, the thing is, I come here on my own steam. I have no sponsors. This is the money that I saved throughout the year. I'm spending on my own racing. So he said, no, you come here, I'll give you a motorcycle and you have to get here and do it. I said, if you're giving me a bike, I'll be there next year. So this was in 1986. In 87, he gave me an NSR250 Honda to race. So when I got to the Isle of Man, uh, I came to Chester from where he was based. From there, we rode the bike to the ferry, got to the Isle of Man. And we were staying at the Douglas Bay Hotel. I remember that was the hotel where the factory Yamaha's uh, team used to stay in the early 60s. Now it's no more. So they said, here's a toolbox and here's the bike. You are no mechanic, nobody. I said, I don't need anybody. So I sat about dismantle the bike, put the bike in one corner, dismantle it and started checking all the nut bolts from one end to the other, remove the carburetors, clean them and put them back. So there's this uh, old guy called Steve Murray, very nice chap. So he was sitting there and looking at me work. He said, where did you learn how to work like this? I said, why is it only that you Brits can work? We can't work, is it? <laughs> They said, no, you work really very systematically. I said, yes, that's how I can work. Otherwise, I will not be able to ride. I said, if something comes off the bike, I will kill myself. So I said, I'm going to ride. It's my bike. So so that's how it started. I raced. And uh, I remember Bill Smith had got a first time the Honda CBR 600s had come in. And he had brought in a HRC kit for his bike. And the HRC kit had titanium exhaust bend pipes. And after one lap, the pipes would crack at the second bend. They would weld them and it would not last more than a lap. And they tried as much as they wanted to. And they were ready to give up and put the standard exhaust back on. So I said, uh, do you mind if I have a go at it? So they used to call me Sabu because there was uh, some English uh, comedy serial where an Indian was there and his name was Sabu. So they used to keep calling me Sabu. I said, you can call me what you want. As long as I can race, that's my aim. <laughs> so he said, okay, Sabu, if you want to have a go at it, why don't you have a go at it? So I said, okay. I said, let's weld the pipes. Then I said, I want some gasket sealant and I want some asbestos rope. In those days, you could buy asbestos rope. It was not banned. So I put the sealant and put asbestos rope on the second bend pipe for about six inches of asbestos, each and every bend pipe where they were cracking from. Got the, put the exhaust back onto the bike, heated it up, and it became really solid, you know, hardened up once it got hot. I said, let's have a go. One lap, two laps, three laps, it was not cracking and the problem was solved. So after that, Bill comes in and says, now what I want you to do is, you will also work on my bike along with your bike. So that was the extra load burden that I got <laughs> racing there. <laughs> but you did complete it. What, what was it like racing around the Isle of Man? Uh, it's phenomenal. To be honest with you, it's an experience. It was more satisfying to finish that race than to win any other race that I won. So it was more satisfying to just finish the TT than to win any other race. It was that satisfying. Because for me, racing was for my own self, for my own satisfaction. You know, never to prove anything to anybody else. But that when you completed the race, it was really, really satisfying. And 
couple of years back when I, we went back to the Isle of Man with the Continental GTs with Siddharth and Freddie, you know, real good memories coming back. And that uh, memory from that was what two thousand and nineteen. You yes. were there with Fuss, Freddie Spencer, and and Siddharth. Yes. Now. That was when the concept for the new Continental GT Cup series came to into being. Is that yes, right? Yes, actually, the idea for the Conti GT Cup to, came to me when I rode the bike in California itself. I have done a little bit of classic racing in Australia. I've raced the Man, uh, Norton Mangs. A matchless G50, and all these bikes cost an arm and a leg to buy and to maintain. So I thought that this was a very good platform to, you know, do retro racing because because Royal Enfield is into retros, and why not do retro racing? So I had already broached this uh, topic with Siddharth, and he said, "Yes, yes, we'll look at it. Why not?" And when we did the lap. At the Isle of Man, and at the end of the lap, we were sitting in uh, at the Craigne Bar, having coffee with Siddharth and Siddharth Lal, Freddie Spencer, and myself. And Freddie and I both said, "Told Siddharth, why don't you do it?" And when Freddie endorsed the subject, I think uh, Siddharth said, "Yes, we'll do it. Why not?" So that's where the it start. It all started. To be honest with you, what do you think it is about the Continental GT that makes it an ideal motorcycle for this kind of race competition? See, first of all, it's pure motorcycling. There are no electronics. Okay, there's no rain mode. There's no performance mode or anything. The only electronics that you have is ABS, which is for safety, of course, and it's pure biking. And the basic engine, the chassis—it's a very nice platform to to start working with. And I thought, why not give people the uh, experience of retro racing, which not everybody can afford. You know, not everybody can afford to go and afford to go and buy a Norton Mangs or a AJS 7R or a G50. But anything of any of those bikes costs anywhere between forty to fifty thousand pounds, even a replica today. So I thought that for a fraction of a cost, people can have the same sort of fun that people are spending hundreds and thousands of dollars or pounds. Why not give to them for a few thousand dollars or pounds? They can have a retro race bike and have the same fun. And what kind of modifications are being made to the bikes to make them race ready? I've kept the engine absolutely standard. We're running no changes. I made a new exhaust system. Which is about uh, 15, 14, 15 kilos lighter than the standard exhaust because it has no catalytic converters and things like that. It's made out of stainless steel, the complete exhaust system. It weighs 5.6 kilos complete, both the exhaust bent pipes and both the mufflers. So it's 5.6 kilos of exhaust system compared to 18, 19 plus kilos of. Uh, or 20 plus kilos of weight of the standard exhaust. So that is the main thing. We are getting about 12% more power from this uh, because these are tuned length exhausts. Uh, we've tuned it for the six and a half, seven thousand max power output. At, and we put it on a dyno and we are getting about 12% more power compared to a standard 650. Then on the chassis, we've uh, retuned the front forks, put uh, spring load 
pre-adjust, uh, you know, spring load adjusters and uh, thicker or greater oil to make them slightly stiffer for racing. For the rear shocks, we have gone for stiffer springs at the rear and a slightly longer suspension unit at the rear. And we've cut off a little bit of the extra mudguard stay and relocated the foot pegs a little higher for better ground clearance. And that's about it. We are running a standard tank, standard uh, Continental GT uh, seat. And yes, uh, we are running a small quarter fairing, which is designed by the UK team. And they've sent us a quarter fairing that we've put to the front end. I've got to say, I've, I've seen pictures of the of the racing bikes, and they look beautiful. They really do look the business. Yeah, the idea is to keep them as basically, you know, like the 60s as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for people who want to participate, what lies in store for them? Uh, Royal Enfield will announce the series. They'll be open on website. You can register on the website and then uh, we will look at the people who have registered and see who've got what experience and uh, how they've thing. And we'll filter down to 100 people who will be called for the qualifying rounds to the Coimbatore racetrack. We'll let 100 people have a go and we will pick the uh, quickest uh, 20 of the 100. So... Am I right? You also run a racing school, Aspie? Yes, we will be running a racing school with the Royal Enfield GT 650s and uh, especially get Royal Enfield owners to come and learn how to ride on a racetrack or even make them better road riders. Just give them the knowledge of how to ride a motorcycle. And these will be uh, the same bikes that will be taking part in the GT Cup that they uh, learn on? Yes, we will uh, give them the same bikes. Fantastic. Are you not tempted to get out there and take part in it yourself? <laughs> no, that won't be fair, I think. So I'll let, I've done with my bit. I've had my time of racing. I let the boys ride. I, I can go out and have a few laps whenever I want and have a, enjoy myself on that front. So as a highly experienced racer, what advice could you give to anyone who's never raced before, but considering... Uh, getting involved uh, and in applying to take part in the GT Cup. See, this is the best part of the GT Cup is that we are not putting an age limit. Like if you go to most other one-make series, they want to promote young talent and things like that. So even if you are today 50 years old and you want to ride, and you know if you are quick enough, you will qualify for the race. If not, you can come to our school. I'll take you through all the drills and I'll explain to you how to ride a motorcycle how to apply the brakes, what to do, what not to do, to be a good rider. So that sounds to me like a really good, fun thing to do. Yeah, it's all about going see that anything that you do, you should enjoy, Gordon. If you are coming there to race or to anything, do anything, and if you are highly stressed, I don't think you can enjoy a ride or whatever you do. So this is going to be a cup where, yes, it will be competitive, but it's going to be fun. I want everybody to have a good time. And enjoy themselves. I think one of the great things that I see about the GT Cup is the easy access it gives people to the sport. You've told us earlier the lengths you had to go to to race, whereas today Royal Enfield's making that so much easier and more accessible for people. Um, can, can you have imagined something like this happening back when you started racing? Oh, I wish it was. Really, I hope it could have been like that. If I could wind the clock back by 50 years. 
but it is going to be so good for the Royal Enfield. If anybody wants to come in, it's not limited to Royal Enfield owners. We are going to give riding leathers. We are giving you a bike, an equal bike. And all you have to do is bring your own helmet, gloves and boots, which I think you should carry on and come and pay the nominal fee and do the championship. Sounds wonderful. If I was in India, I'd certainly want to apply and have a go, even though I'm not the fastest off the block. Yeah, once this season takes off in, in India, and if it we are successful with it, I'm sure we will be. Once it's sorted, I think I hope we can uh, move this sort of series to the UK, US and Australia and maybe have a round of a Royal Enfield GT Cup with a classic bike event. That sounds fantastic. And uh, and I think a great way to, to end our conversation today with that wonderful thought, that possibility uh, ahead for the future. So I'll uh, end by saying thank you very much for sharing your experience and knowledge with us today, Aspie. I found it really insightful and enjoyable, and I'm certain our listeners will have. Thank you once again. Thank you, Gordon, and it was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, here's another Gordon's history nugget. In 1958, renowned Scottish motorcycle racer Bob McIntyre rode a specially tuned 700cc Royal Enfield Super Meteor in the Thruxton 500-mile endurance race. Hitting 118 miles an hour along the straights, Bob Mack and his teammate Derek Powell took the lead, but misfortune struck when their petrol tank split. This cost the duo three and a half minutes in the pits while the tank was swapped. Although when repaired, Bob Mack clawed the lost time back, riding three seconds a lap faster than the leader, and in the process setting the fastest lap, the race ended too early for him to regain the lead and he finished second. As a point of interest, the winner was none other than Mike Halewood, known as Mike the Bike, the nine times world champion who went on to compete in Formula One and the Le Mans 24-hour race. I guess there was no shame in losing to him. Well, that really is all for now. Do remember to join us for the next Ride Pure podcast. If you have ideas and suggestions for future episodes, do get in touch by email, ridepurepodcast at royalenfield.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like, add us to your favourites, or even leave a review. To ensure you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until then, we wish you great roads and safe riding.